Well, as, the, as our time together in the Beatitudes comes to a conclusion, uh, I wanted to begin this last section by telling a story, um, as it's reported to us, about, uh, about a man of faith who lived an experience that is not so unlike ours, a man who, uh, who endured great persecution and hardship for the sake of the reward that was to come and how his life can be instructive for us. The story comes to us from, of all places, uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, when it describes the life of Moses in this way. We are told that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeing pleasures of sin. And he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This report of the life of Moses uh, really is a great picture and a summary of everything that we are going to um, discuss here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 uh, through 12. This is the biblical summary of life in the kingdom. And in many ways, these verses uh, put, a, put a finishing touch on all the Beatitudes that we've spent so many weeks discussing. This final blessing uh, here in, in verses 10 and 11, that these act as the summary for the whole uh, study, for the whole thing. It tells us what we are to expect if we are to be those type of people who live for his kingdom um, in an age where the kingdom has not uh, come in its full completion and consummation. If we are to pursue lives, uh, um, lives um, in pursuit of Christ, functioning as members of his kingdom today, well, that is going to inevitably lead to, unfortunately, our persecution uh, and hardship for his sake. And we're going to discuss um, these last few verses. I've decided to group these together, and we're going to do this under three headings, uh, beginning with point number one this morning, uh, possession through persecution. Possession through persecution. Now, 10, 10 through 12, um, some people split these up. I thought it was fitting, and, and many agreed to group these together because they are very clearly, thematically the same. Uh, both pronounce blessings um, when people are when when one is persecuted in the first hand for righteousness' sake, on the other um, when people utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Christ's account, and they really are synonymous. They are they are they are two different blessings that are um, explaining the same set of circumstances. Both of them very clearly are centered on this idea um, that there is blessing to be found in persecution. But persecution, when it comes on account of Christ, and once again for the sake of righteousness. What's important to note here is that is that verse ten, uh, it does lie in parallel to verse three because these are the only two uh, beat or beatitudes here where where there's a promise. The promise of the blessing is full blown possession of the kingdom, and everything that everything else that fits in between lies in relation to this idea that that the blessing lies, for, for people just like this, um, the blessing lies in, in full possession of, of God's kingdom, whether it be in the first case in verse 3, those who are poor in spirit, uh, humble before the Lord, 
those who fear God and are able to see themselves rightly. To those people belong the kingdom, and likewise here, those who are persecuted for the sake of Christ. To them, too, belong, belong the kingdom. Now, as we dive into this, and as we consider what type of righteousness brings forth persecution and how this fits in with the rest of the story being told, both in Matthew and the rest of the Gospels, we do have to pause to consider, um, you know, well, what type of righteousness does Christ have in mind in particular here? Because there are different, you know, forms of righteousness that are, that are discussed throughout the book. For example, there's like a, a general um, self-righteousness, maybe, of the Pharisees that they possessed. Or even in cases when they were very zealous for the law, there's a, there is a, a kind of uprightness that comes along with seeking to do good um, and is seeking to uphold God's law. There is, a, there is a righteousness that is fitting for just general law-keeping and, and those who seek to be upright. But I think here it's very clear uh, what's being spoken of is this distinct righteousness according to the standards of the rest of the Beatitudes. Um, Christ has been laying out this, this ethic for those who belong to the kingdom throughout, throughout this section. And there's a righteousness that is fitting for those who are in the kingdom. And that righteousness many times uh, will go far above and beyond what is expected and demanded in the world um, and is going to lead to quite a bit of confusion. The kind of righteousness that will bring persecution here um, and the kind of righteousness that is for Christ's sake well, is a life that, that is very um, forgiving of others, even enemies. The kind of person who is quick to mourn, right, or those who are meek and, and humble. The kind of people who hunger and thirst for righteousness while at the same time acknowledging their own lack of righteousness. The people who are merciful to others, even when they don't deserve it. Um, those who are pure in heart and seek to be pure in heart. And those who seek to make peace, even in the most challenging of circumstances and situations. It's that kind of righteousness, this sort of, of kingdom righteousness, which is it's consistent with the law of God, but it also goes far above and beyond what what the mere law requires. This is the kind of righteousness um, that Christ is speaking of that will bring about a certain amount of hostility, animosity, and as we're told here, uh, persecution for Christ's sake. It is for his sake, as he says in verse 11, that the persecution uh, will come. And fundamentally, this idea of being persecuted for all these things uh, is what the Beatitudes have been, have been all about. What this entire section that we've been studying uh, describes for us is what the misfit in that story, A Good Man is Hard to Find, describes. As he says in that story very, uh, in a uh, remarkable way, he says, well, Jesus has just thrown everything off balance. Jesus thrown everything off balance. That once you become a Christian, when you seek to obey and follow the Lord and you become a citizen of his, of his kingdom. Well, the demands that he places on your life uh, do bring tremendous blessing, but at the same time, um, it leaves you prone to be misunderstood, uh, to be maligned, and as we're told here, to be, uh, to be persecuted. 
living for him and for his righteousness will put you out of sorts with the world around you, no matter what time and no matter what place you find yourself in. Um, But being someone who is quick to forgive, uh, being someone who won't let uh, who won't let uh, discord between friends or between even you and another stand without seeking peace. Um, being someone who is, who is not, um, not a pushover, but someone who is meek and doesn't seek to claim your own rights. Uh, being someone who treats death as the enemy that it is and truly mourns uh, for those who are lost. Those type of people, that type of standard will bring not just mockery, and not just derision, but as we're told here, full-blown persecution. If that is the case, then the second thing here for us uh, to cover is point number two, the form of our persecution. I mean, on the one hand, these, these passages are very straightforward and clear, and the exposition doesn't require a lot of jumping through hoops or, or um, you know, explaining away hard things in hard language. Here we, ha- we see, just um, through verse 11, a few different shades that our, pu- that, that our persecution is going to come in, different forms that our suffering and that our trials will come in for those who persecute us. It's very clear now that Christ here has in mind that he's not just saying that Christians are going to suffer like all people suffer. Well, it's true on the one hand that all of us living in this world are under um, a common curse, just as the world is, that's going to bring certain difficulties in life. Um, that's not exactly what he's talking about. I mean, sin will wear us all down, absolutely. There is, there is calamity and sickness and trials waiting everyone, and that's just by nature of, of living in this age. But the persecution that's in mind here in these verses is suffering an attack, a direct attack from the hands of other people. This is the kind of suffering that you face uh, when you fall into someone's crosshairs or when someone has it out for you. This is person-to-person suffering, person-to-person persecution. It's described for us in this threefold way. It says in verse 11, Blessed are you when when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. These, these three ideas, these three phrases really cover all the forms and all the ways in which a personal attack can come. If someone has it out for you, um, it's, you know, typically their, their attack is going to come in one of these, in one of these forms. It's, it's, it's quite comprehensive. There will be people, for the sake of Christ, uh, who will revile you unjustly, who are going to hate you, who will have ill will towards you will not just express that through a, um, through a mean spirit and disposition, but they will, but they will seek uh, for your destruction. That leads to the second one. This also, describe, you know, this also describes people who will persecute you. Not only will they, you know, will they just hate you and just wish bad against you, but they will also take up the means and ways in which they will uh, come after you for Christ's sake. But they will come after your, your person. Sometimes those, I mean, and, and that could take all various types of forms. It could be violence. It could be threats. Um, any, sort of, any sort of attack. Well, there's also 
this category of those who utter evil against you falsely, those who just wage a verbal war against you, who slander you, gossip you, or gossip about you with no real grounds for that. There's also a sense in which these three phrases that describe persecution, they cover both things that are done to you face-to-face and those things that are also done behind your back um, when you least expect it, when you weren't looking and when you didn't see it coming. Many of us, if not all of us, have unfortunately faced at least one of those two. Probably most common you've, you've had to deal with the gossip and slander or attacks that come um, from behind or without you knowing it. Knowing it. Even today, even with even with uh, you know with the advent of social media and the internet, very rarely do you have someone who is willing to you know, to tell you what they think face to face. It's a lot easier to hide behind you know a keyboard or an anonymous username uh, to wage your war and to lobby your attacks. But of course, the key element here um, when we talk about persecution is this somehow blessed reality of being persecuted when it's completely unjustified and it's completely unwarranted. Once again, for righteousness' sake and on account of Christ. And that really does change everything about how we approach this. These verses are not like a blanket absolution or like they don't, they don't cover every time you've ever been persecuted and it was your fault. And it was something that you, that you deserved. This doesn't um, get all Christians out of the fix of, of having people come after them for the wrongs that they have done. Look, in, in many ways, the people of the church are just as foolish um, as the people outside of the church. And the church as institution is prone and susceptible to, uh, to the same things that... Uh, um, the, thing, the same things that beset other institutions... We are um, fools in many ways, and many Christians um, are, are not unlike other people. We can all be self-serving uh, jerks and people who deserve what's coming to us. We can, you know, at times, unfortunately for Christians, um, we can be just as guilty as the rest of the world by playing the victim card um, when it fits us and when it suits us. If you go out and you look at, at, at the state of politics um, claiming to be a victim, claiming to be the abused and the aggrieved in an unjustified way, well, it's like the right is just as good as, as that as the, as the left. And this, and this set of, of beatitudes here doesn't get you off the hook, once again, when you're persecuted, but you deserve it. Uh, when you had what's come, or when you receive what's coming to you, when the just thing in your situation was a bit of retribution, and a, red of, uh, and a bit of payback. And when that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, really was the fitting thing in your particular situation. No, this kind of persecution, however, is the kind of persecution that comes as a direct response uh, for living for Christ and his kingdom. And it's the kind of unjust persecution that comes to people um, who pour themselves out for the other, for those who live for God and, and, and live for their neighbor, loving, uh, loving their neighbor as themselves, who go above and beyond what is required of them and still 
They are hated, gossiped about, and even, kill, and even killed. There's a blessing. When for all your efforts to, uh, to live for Christ in this world, when you're, there's a blessing when your reward for all of that is hatred. Luther, when describing how the whole system of Beatitudes works, he describes the connection between everything that came before and these final two in this way. He says, Now we have hitherto treated nearly all the parts of the Christian mode of living and the spiritual fruits of faith in these two aspects. It's a mouthful, but it gets better. He says, First, as to his person, that the Christian is poor, sad, miserable, that he suffers want and hunger, and along with this, towards others, is a useful, beneficent, merciful, peaceable man, and he does nothing but good works. Uh Here, now he has the last, how he is treated for all this, that although he is full of good works, he does all those things described, he pours himself out for others, he does nothing but good works. For all those good works, even towards his enemies and towards evil men, he must get this reward from the world that he is persecuted and lose body, life, and everything for it. The Beatitudes closes on this note, um, that if you do all these things, that if you pour yourself out and you do these good works, your reward in this life is a blessing. But that blessing comes in the form of your persecution. And with that, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, the, that's, that's supposed to be the enticing thing, right? Like you are, what you, what you gain for all this effort you put in in life um, is a cross. This is what is guaranteed to us. As Paul says in, in 2 Timothy, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And in essence, that's what we're signing up for. Um, that's what you're coming in here to hear and, to, uh, and that's what you're you know, getting prepared for as you go out into the world is to carry the cross of a personal persecution that will come for all who revile the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a sobering reality and it doesn't do us well um, to take that lightly or to sugarcoat the situation. Um, God does have a wonderful plan for your life and that plan includes direct personal attacks from those who hate your Lord. Now this on its own, for any, common, any person who has a bit of common sense, on its own, if this was all that can be said, this would be enough to discourage anyone from following Christ. Once again, if this were the end of the story. But of course, the way in which we are to understand this and the way in which we can not just endure persecution but receive it with great joy uh, and even, even some excitement and hope is if we focus uh, not on the temporal rewards of this age but the, but the greater rewards that are promised um, in the life to come. So the final thing I want us to see here from this passage is point, is point number three, true kingdom rewards. True kingdom rewards. Look, the only way that you can make sense of this beatitude and consider, and consider this reality 
as a blessing and as a good for you, the only way you can make sense of life in his kingdom as a whole is if we fix all of our hope in a reward that lies outside of the confines of this age, um, that lies in a world that is to come. Rejoice and be glad, we're told in verse 12. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look, there is a reward worth being celebratory over, and it is indeed great. And as we look to the person of Christ and we see all that all that was uh, uh, pronounced over him, his name being risen above every name, his, him raising from, uh, from death to life in a glorified body, him receiving uh, all authority on heaven and earth, him ascending into heaven, um, all those wonderful things are great rewards that you will possess as well, but in their fullness, in their fullness, you will only come into possession of those things in the age that is to come in heaven. This is life in the kingdom. Just to take it all the way back to where we started. We are living according to, uh, to the morals, to the standard, to the ethic. Uh, and we are living for the, reward of, for the reward of a world that is to come. People from the future living in the wilderness of today. We are a kingdom people. Uh, who from our earliest days, even as we read from Moses, have always been a forward-looking people, never considering, no matter what time in biblical history you look at, never, con- never considering the rewards of the present to, ha- to, 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 uh, to, to compare at all to the rewards that are to come. Whether it be Mo- uh, Moses or we think of someone like Abraham, who himself sought a city that has its foundations uh, as whose designer and builder is God. But the prospect for those of us who have our eyes fixed on eternal rewards mean that for here and now, it will mean temporary suffering. While we pass from this life uh, to take our possession of the rewards that are to come. Even as we conceive of that idea, when we think about what it means to endure suffering for the sake of some greater reward, well, immediately to help us in that way, to set forth or to be an example for us, to to give you great encouragement and a blueprint for how to walk that path, well, the Bible gives us Christ not just as our goal, but also as our example. We are people told in the scriptures to follow the pattern of Christ who went forth to the cross to pay for our sins and to be an example for us of how to endure the kind of persecution that's being talked about here, direct, personal um, oppression. First Peter, or Peter in First Peter, tells us in chapter 2, verse 20, he's, he's, he ponders, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer and you endure, well, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you, um, so that you might follow in his footsteps. I mean, very clearly he goes on to say, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. When weak in faith, uh, when it feels as though the pressure of the world is too much to endure, uh, when the hatred of others makes you feel like it's time to throw in the towel and yield, take heart, because Christ has come. He set forth for us an example, and he's also accomplished for us and secured for us those great rewards that we are holding out for. Not only, and he's so gracious and he's so kind to us in, in demonstrating for that for us, is even now he doesn't just force us to only hope in that which is to come. But, he's, but he has already at present begun a good work in you that he will bring about to completion. Yes, indeed, heaven is to come. The consummation is to come. But if you are in Christ, as we're told in the scriptures, you are already at present seated in heavenly places. And those blessings and those benefits of the world that is to come, they already are yours now by faith. And it is those things that you can stand firm on. The reality of the kingdom is yours now because Christ is yours now. Because that's the case, in some odd, strange way, not only does he make your persecution something that you can endure, he doesn't just give you strength to deal with it, but he also then uses those things, according to the scripture, to grow you and to transform your life. I mean, what are we told over and over by people like James or Peter? Count it um, all as joy when you suffer various what? Trials. Well, how, do you, how, how in the world do you count it as a joy? Well, you, count it, you can only count it as a joy because you know that if you suffer trials for Christ's sake, that your faith is being hardened as it's tested. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness or endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So says James. The Lord is testing uh, your faith working through you. And God calls even your endurance uh, something that he uses to work his grace. It, it tells, we're told once again in 1 Peter, we'll go back to that, to, to that passage, 1 Peter 2.20. He says that when you do good and you suffer for it, um, you endure. And the fact that you're trained to endure we're told it's, it's God being gracious towards you, that this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That your endurance that he provides for you is, in a sense, a gift, something that he grants to you uh, to help you on the way, to make sure that you endure unto the end, to where you receive those rewards, not just as things that we have now by faith, but that you will possess fully in reality by sight in the future. God calls you to this endurance today. And this is the life uh, in the kingdom. And it is a life, as we can fully affirm uh, now, is a life that is blessed. So do not lose heart 
Do not lose hope in the midst of your various trials. Though they are difficult and though for a time they will bring you great agony, identifying with your Savior and hoping in the gifts that he has, out, that, that he has held out for you, that is your lot in the Christian life. May we continue in that way, uh, not just today, but for the rest of our, but for the rest of our years until he does what he has promised and helps us endure and persevere uh, into the end. Let's pray.